0: Well, praise the Lord. I love those uh, descriptions of worship. Uh, You have a God who wants you to worship him. You have a God who wants you to know him. Yesterday, uh, or yeah, last night, we had our concert at the park at the Thornton Amphitheater. And there were people while we were practicing or the worship team was practicing, they would show up early. Uh, These are strangers. They would show up with their phones and they were recording the worship team worship. You guys remember that? Some of you were there. They were recording the worship team worship. And I looked at that and, and I saw that and people were taking pictures. And I thought there's something in our hearts that God has put there, a desire for us to know our creator. And nothing else satisfies us until we know our creator. And nothing will satisfy you until you know your creator. And God was just moving in such a special way last night. I felt the anointing of the Lord. My mother-in-law, who only knows Spanish, she, she was making me some bacon and eggs this morning. They were so good. And she was, uh, she was asking me, she didn't understand, she didn't understand English. So she asked me, what did you preach about? And I told her, I know I preached about the woman who had this uh, hemorrhage, uh, 12, uh, bleeding for 12 years and touched the hem." of Jesus' garment, and, and she loved that story, and she talked about it, and she told me, I just sensed the presence of God last night, and it was true. Um, we, uh, God moved in such a beautiful way. So many people were touched by God. Uh, there, was this, uh, there was this one uh, young woman who, who, was, who was there, and, uh, and she was there, and, and actually, when I was calling people forward, giving them an opportunity to invite Christ, uh, she was talking to uh, Johnny in the very back, and I was like, I was like, oh, uh, Johnny, coming up here to pray. I had no idea he was in a conversation with a woman, and and she was asking him, "How do I accept Christ?" That's what her question was, because she identified with a woman who had been, you know, in that situation for twelve years. And and Johnny was talking to her, and then and then Johnny got my wife Grace, and Grace went to go pray for her, and this woman uh, turned her life to Jesus Christ for the first time last night. Glory to God. And it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And, you know, she's even at church right now in the house. And she gave me permission to share that. So I'm so excited for that. I had another woman who uh, came up to me, and and, uh, she just moved from Aurora. And she's looking for a church in the area. And uh, when she showed up here in this area, she thought, I'm going to take my kids to a playground. So she chose the playground where we did the concert at the amphitheater. And it just so happened she's there looking for a church. She took her kids to the park and she hears music. She hears us worshiping. So she goes all the way to the front row and says, what's going on? And we say, well, this is a church and we're getting ready. She says, I just moved here from Aurora. I'm looking for a church. And we said, well, here's a card." She said, I'll be here this weekend. So she's coming to church this weekend. Now, let me just blow you away. Do you think it was God's will for her to take her kids to that park at that specific time? Yeah, you can put your hands together. That's how God moves. God does things on purpose, and he's an intentional God. He desires for you to know him intimately. Turn to the person next to you and just say, get ready for God's word. Can you do that? And If you're watching online, I want you to just type in, "Get ready." Can you do that? Um, uh, today we're looking at a psalm, a psalm chapter chapter three. Uh, but before we jump into this, I have a song I want to quote by Olivia Rodrigo. Did you think you'll hear Olivia Rodrigo's name in church? She wrote a song named Trader. How many of you know about Olivia Rodrigo? Raise your hand. Um if you didn't ra- if you're not raising your hand, you're old. Let me just say that. <laughs> the only reason why I know it is my daughter. Uh, she has this song by tra- uh, Trader uh, Lyrics, and, and uh, I, I get down to her. I, I get, I, I hype, is that right? Kaylee was trying to teach me how to. I'm hyped up about her. I'm hyped up about this. I'm, I, okay, anyway. So she says this. <laughs> Am I, do I sound cool, Bryce? Do I sound cool? Is that hyped up? I get hype, I, I get, uh, is that what everyone says? I jive with her. Is that right? Is that right? I don't know if you would. Oh, (laughs) he said, "I don't know if you would." That's what he said. I shouldn't have asked him. Here's the here's the lyrics: Brown guilty eyes and little white lies. Yeah, I played dumb, but I always knew that you talked to her. Maybe did even worse. I kept quiet so I could keep you. This song right here is about a, a person who's, who uh, has experienced this traitor in their life. And, and I, I read that and I heard that song with my daughter and I thought about what I'm preaching about and this is exactly what King David is talking about in Psalm chapter three. Let's stand up guys, let's read this together um, or you can, you can, you can uh, listen while I read. And um, just out of respect to the word of God, let's stand. Psalm chapter three. There's eight verses. It says this, O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. The one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O oh Lord. May you bless your people. Oh God, we worship you right now and we just submit to your spirit. I pray, God, that you uh, arrest hearts and minds here right now. Move in the heart of the person who's watching online, God, and speak to them, Lord, about your will and your purpose and your grace and your mercy. Change us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I know you're already in this place. You've already given me that assurance. And now I just want to publicly ask for your spirit to lead me and guide me. You be my transcript. God, I pray that hearts turn to you in a way they never have. I pray there's no spectators in the house, no spectators online. I pray, God, that uh, they respond to your leading God, respond to your spirit, God. May we discover the beautiful, beautiful life of walking with you, Jesus, knowing you as Lord and Savior and Counselor and Mighty God and Prince of Peace. So have your way here, God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. 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 You may be seated. God is so good. God is so good. Um, Today's title is uh, Facing my battles, facing my battles. And uh, if you look uh, in your Bible, it might have this, but in Psalm chapter three, there's um, there's this little subtitle. And it says, it's a Psalm of David, regarding the time David fled from his son, Absalom. So this Psalm is written about something that happened and it's involving David's son, Absalom. Um, so this backstory is really important to understand. Because then it makes Psalm chapter three come to life. And the words just come to life because uh, you, you just understand what's happening. So what I want to do first is I want to look at the backstory a little bit. And then we're going to jump back to Psalm chapter three. But um, here's the backstory. Um, you find the story in Second Samuel and all you have to do is look at chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18, and you read about his son, Absalom. So Absalom was a good-looking guy. (laughs) Scripture says, I know some of you are thinking you could identify with that struggle. I know. Uh, Scripture says he was good-looking from head to toe, and he only cut his hair once a year, and when he cut it, it weighed Five pounds. That's what scripture says. So he's just a guy, full head of hair. All the ladies love him. Something, you know, he walks in a room, everybody knows it, and he's an attractive kind of guy in many, many ways. But something happens in his life. His, uh, his sister named Tamar, who he loved, was raped. And she wasn't raped by just anyone. She was raped by her half brother named Amnon Amnon A M N O N So Amnon rapes Tamar Absalom didn't like it so he arranges for the death of Amnon actually murders Amnon takes his life and then what he does Is he flees, he goes, runs to another city, and he's in this other city, stays in this other city for a long time. His father, King David, hears about everything that happens, and his father has all kinds of mixed emotions. You know, his son was murdered by his other son, and his wife, his wife, his daughter, Tamar, was raped. So you can imagine all the mixed feelings he has, He lost a son, one son murdered the other. Now that son is gone. And now he has a beautiful daughter who's been sexually abused and feels unworthy. And his son Absalom leaves. And eventually Absalom comes back. But when he comes back, his dad is just at a difficult place. And scripture says for two years, His dad, King David, did not see Absalom. They were in the same city, but he's like, I can't see you. It's just too much for me. And something happened during those two years while Absalom was there. Absalom became angry. And eventually he used this other man named Joab. And he said, look, my dad called me back home and he won't even see me. He won't even see me. So he actually sets fire on this property to get his dad's attention because his dad's not giving him attention. But during this time, you just need to know, Absalom became a bitter young man, resentful, angry at his father, felt like all of a sudden he became the fugitive, it was unfair. So what he does then, eventually David sees Absalom and they hug, but you couldn't undo what happened in, Absalom, or in Absalom's heart. And we pick it up, guys, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Here's what Absalom does. Scripture says, after this, Absalom uh, bought a chariot and horses. And he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, that's King David, his dad, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from And they would tell him they're a tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment. And I would give them justice. When people tried to bow down before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand. And what did he do, church? And he, and he kissed them. He kissed them. <clears throat> Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, how many years, church? How many years? Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur and Aram, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. That's his father. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with his with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon, many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. You think, Absalom was over it, not at all. Sometimes people say, I'm good, when they're really not good. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they say, all is good, oh, I'm fine, it's water under the bridge. It's not water under the bridge, they're soaking wet. You know what I mean? Sometimes people say stuff like that. In this situation, you you see Absalom, David's son, is full of resentment and bitterness, and he wants to be king. So he connives, he schemes, and he steals the heart of people. That's what scripture says, steals their hearts. They try to kneel down, and he's like, no, 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 don't kneel down. And they kiss him, and he says, oh, if I were the king, it would be different. Daddy, King David, doesn't know anything about this. He's whispering in the shadows behind King David's back. He's forming an alliance. He's targeting the influencers of the community. He's speaking to them and telling them lies and saying this thing, and he's trying to win them over. And what's worse is they believe him. They believe him. And Absalom hires or gets these guests and says, hey, when you blow this trumpet, I want everyone to say I'm the king want everybody to say that. David is doing his best to be pleasing under the eyes of God. He knows nothing about this. This is going on for four years, and he knows nothing about it. And David eventually hears about it, and scripture says David decides to flee. David didn't have it in him to kill his own son. So, Absalom literally steals the hearts of the people, and they believe him. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had an Absalom in your life? You know what I'm talking about? Someone spreading lies about you. Maybe they speak about your character. Have you ever had an Absalom? Maybe, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been an Absalom? Have you ever been in Absalom? Absalom will talk behind your back. (laughs) Absalom will be winking when you don't even know it. They'll be speaking secrets in the shadows, in the corners. They'll be talking about you behind closed doors, talking about you when you're not around. You can't trust them. You look into their eyes and you think there's something about you that I don't feel like you're really with me. Have you ever had an Absalom? And then someone tells you, oh, but so-and-so said this about you, or whatever, and you're thinking, what is that? What's going on? What is going on? They only want to hurt you. They only want to hurt you. You know, a lot of times I, I preach I preach messages every weekend. <laughs> and uh, by the grace of God, he decides to use me. And there are certain messages that are more personal to me than others. This is one of those that's really personal to me. I've had Absaloms in my life. I could give you names of Absaloms in my life. People that I thought were for me, people that I thought I could trust, people who I invested in, people who I loved, people who I prayed for, and they became Absaloms in my life. Maybe you could say the same thing. So in Psalm chapter three, David says this prayer, and it is incredibly rich. So this prayer comes from David, and he's running from his son, Absalom, and he's out there, and he's like a fugitive, and he says this prayer. In verse one, he says this, oh Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me. Have you ever felt like you just have more enemies than friends? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, mean, think about this. How many friends do you have that are really friends, that you never have to question their love or their faithfulness, or their loyalty, and you can reach out to them. At any, I mean, how many friends, I'm not talking about your dog, or your fish, or anything like that. I mean, how many friends do you have that you know they have your back? I bet you only need one hand. I bet you only need one hand. There's nothing like a true friend. A true friend has your back even when you're not asking them to have your back. You know what I'm talking about? A true friend, you can trust. They speak behind a closed door and you don't worry about what they're saying about you. A true friend has seen the worst in you and they still love you. You know what I'm saying? A true friend is loyal to you. A true friend loves you. A true friend trusts your character. A true friend, when they hear a story about you, they don't believe it because they know who you are. That's a true friend. How many of those do you have? How many of those? Here's my prayer at Thorn Creek because I believe a true friend, you can, you can call at two o'clock in the morning. How many of you have a true friend that you can call at two in the morning? Not your spouse, she's a captive audience. I'm not worried, you know, well not, or he's, a, I'm talking about a true friend, you can call at two, at two, two in the morning. Uh, here's my prayer is everyone Everyone who attends Thorn Creek has a 2 a.m. friend. Preferably someone who also attends Thorn Creek. Someone that you can call at 2 in the morning. I know a lot of you, I can call at 2 in the morning. A lot of you men, you're so loving to me. I can call you at 2 in the morning, and I know you'll listen. But Absalom was not a 2 a.m. friend. And look what, I mean, David feels like he's being surrounded by enemies. He's almost like at this point of paranoia. And it's like, you know, I can't trust anything that's happening. My own son is betraying me. The enemies are everywhere. So I'm just going to keep my cards to my chest. I'm not going to tell anyone anything because trouble surrounds me everywhere. Problems surround me anywhere, everywhere. And verse two, it says this. So many are saying, look what they're saying. God will never rescue him. That's what they're saying. This is what David is hearing from on the streets. They're saying, God will never rescue him. Well, this is below the belt because you know what they're saying? David has done so many shady things. David has lied and he has cheated. David has sinned before God. David has treated everyone so bad that even God will not take care of him. This is a character assassination. Have you ever had a character assassination? It's horrible. It's horrible. Someone calls you a liar, someone calls you a cheat, someone calls you a fake the character assassination. And David's enemies are attacking him. And to be honest with you, for a pastor, there's nothing more hurtful than a character assassination. Because our life is a life of integrity before God. And when my character is attacked, they're attacking my calling. They're attacking my, my role, my position, my, 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 the favor of God. They're attacking everything. But when your character is attacked, it doesn't matter what you say, does it? Have you noticed that when someone doesn't believe you, it doesn't matter what you say, they don't believe you, do they? When you are viewed a certain way, it doesn't matter what you... You can show them documentation, but if they believe you're a liar, that doesn't help at all. They have come to conclusion about who you are. And they're saying this, God will never rescue David. I like what T.D. Sheik said, because this is something that we, uh, we can all get swept into. Worry worships the words of the enemy. When someone speaks something to you and you know it's not true, you don't have to swallow that, those words. You don't have to accept those words. Here's David's scary thought. Here's his nightmare. Here's maybe what he was thinking. What if they're right? What if I am a fake? What if God's really not with me? What if I'm not the person I thought I was? And all of us have been there before where we second guess ourselves. And we wonder, you know what? I, you know, maybe I'm that bad guy. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not where I thought I was. Maybe I'll never be. Maybe I could never attain to that level. Maybe I'll never, and, and Satan is known as the accuser. He's the father of lies. And he will speak to you at vulnerable moments, moments of guilt and shame and spiritual fatigue. The enemy will speak to you to try to discourage you and to create a wedge between you and God and you and others. So you've got to consider the source. David is facing this internal battle within him. His very own son, who he doesn't want to murder, but his very own son, Absalom, is spreading lies. And the lies are God will never rescue him. Never rescue him. Want you to hear this? Some of the hardest battles you'll face will be those you can't see. Some of your hardest battles. Think about that a little bit. There's your mind is a battlefield. Your thoughts are a battlefield. You know what I'm talking about, men, ladies. There's things that happen that we tell ourselves, things that we see, things that we listen to, things that we think about while we're driving, things that we're thinking about on, when we're on, on our bed, things that we think about at two o'clock in the morning, things that we think about when we go to a certain place, when things that we think about and your mind. There's these battles that you have inside of your mind, and nobody knows that there's a civil war happening inside of your head. God sees it. Nobody can see it, but it's a huge battle going on. And there's other things. You fight against perceptions. You fight against conclusions. You fight against mindsets, against attitudes, against whispers. You fight against things that people can't see, but you battle it. It's that spirit of lust. It's that spirit of anger. It's that spirit of jealousy. It's that spirit of pride. Nobody can see it, but it's a real battle and it's happening as sure as as your hands are real in front of you. There's a real battle happening inside of your head. God can see it and God sees it and you can't fight those battles with your own strength. You're gonna lose. You don't have the strength to fight spiritual battles on your own. You need God. You need the work of the Holy Spirit. And the devil knows just where to cut you. Have you discovered that? The devil knows just where to cut you. He knows that vulnerable moment, that vulnerable place. Like you can jab anywhere, but oh, don't jab at my character. That one is, that was, off. that's below the belt now. And the devil knows just where to jab you. He does, he does. When you look at this psalm, at the end of verse two, there's this word. I didn't read it when I was going through it intentionally, but uh, in the New Living, it says interlude. Do you catch that? Throw throw that. It says interlude. Um, In another version, the NASB, it says salah, S E L A H. So you know what those two words mean? Um, it's this. It's a crescendo or a musical interlude. It's a connection between two songs. The idea is, when it was written, that you should rest at the end of this verse. You should rest. Just or just just take a deep breath, and then you should continue reading the next verse. But the idea behind this is even greater. The idea is it's actually connected to the next verse. It's not independent. It's not independent. So they were saying God will never rescue him, rest. And then verse three says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. See what David is saying now is A combat verse, it's directly related to the accusation that God will never rescue him. And he's saying, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Now, this is you can see David, guys. This is he's an amazing man of God. The guy's a romance guy, he can write lyrics. And he can go to battle with a sword and kill him. He's just a man's man. I think Every man looks at him and say, man, I want to be like you. You do more than roses on Valentine's Day. You're a lady's man and you're also a man's man. I want to be like you. And David, he hears these accusations that God won't rescue him. And in verse three, he's saying, but oh, you, oh Lord, are a shield around me. He's declaring his worship. He's declaring his confession, his faith. He's like, I know what the devil is saying. I know what they're saying. I feel like I have enemies all around me, but God, I know you will never let me down. What they're saying is not going to determine my faith. What they're saying is not gonna shape my faith. What they're saying is not gonna determine my destiny. I'm gonna be the man God wants me to be. And the only voice I wanna hear is God's voice. You hear what I'm talking about? Yeah, put your hands together if you feel that. I love that phrase, but you, oh Lord. Say it with me, guys. But you, oh Lord. Isn't that good? But you, oh Lord. It's like I heard what was said. I know it's a lie. But you, oh Lord. (laughs) But you, oh Lord. See, great men and women of God have learned to turn to God first. Great men and women. Sometimes we think great men and women don't struggle with things that we struggle with. And I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> they do. I have a lot of pastor friends, people who pastor very large churches. I have pastors who pastor churches over 10,000. And I'm going to tell you a secret they struggle with insecurities, they struggle with fear. They struggle with approval. They have a battle in their mind—lust, pride, all of those things. You know what the difference is between the, those great people and the ordinary people? Is they turn to God and they say, "But you, O oh Lord," that's the difference. They put their faith in God. And then when they fall, they get up and they repent and they say, I'm not going to do that again. And they look to God and they say, but you, O oh Lord, but you, oh Lord. And David has this burst of confidence. I've been really into uh, Maverick City. I got this new stereo system put in my car. Thank you, Pastor Nick, my wife, Grace. And I, I got it while I was in, in the hospital. And I um, but Maverick City has some cool, cool songs. There's one song that I'm really, I'm really jiving with. I'm trying to do my best to sound younger. Um, it's called History, it's called History. And uh, in this song, the lyrics say, you've always had my back. You were there all along. You've always had my back. You never left me alone. You've always had my back. That's why I trust you. You've always had my back. Isn't that good? Some of you, don't you and God have history? You know what I'm talking about? You and God have history. And you look back and you say, oh God, you've always had my back. I can see your hands all over my past. You've kept doors closed because you knew it wasn't good for me. You've always had my back, God. When I turned away from you, you had my back. When I deliberately chose sin instead of you, you had my back. When I chose to sleep instead of stay away, you had my back. God, you've always had my back. You've been so good. When I was unfaithful, you had my back. When I didn't believe in you, you had my back. When I didn't believe in myself, you had my back. Does anybody feel that? You know what I'm talking about? Has God been faithful in your life? You've always had my back. See, when you walk with God and you keep walking with God and you have a, but you, oh Lord, kind of attitude, you look back and you say, oh God, you've always had my back. And it motivates you. It fuels you to be obedient to him. But he's always had my back. He's always been there. Even, even, (laughs) even when you slept with the enemy and then you tried to rebuke the enemy the next day. You know what I'm talking about? It's really hard to rebuke the enemy when you're sleeping with the enemy. You know what I'm saying? It's really hard to say, oh, this person's not good for me, but you're hanging out with him all the time. That's really hard to do that kind of thing. Sometimes God closes the door because he's protecting you from what's on the other side of the door. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you think you need because he's protecting you and he knows who you will become if you get what you think you need. Sometimes God is protecting you in a way that you don't even know it because he sees something way bigger than what you see. And he's watching over you because he has your best interest in mind. David says, you are my glory. David just understands, the only thing good about me is him. The only thing good about me is him. And he says, you're the one that holds my head high. And verse four, he says this, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Now, verse four is really interesting. Because the verse before this, he's like, but you, oh Lord, you know, you're my shield and I'm putting my, but you, oh Lord. And then verse four, he says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. Well, there should be like a verse 3.5 or something like that, because something happened between verse three and verse four. Because verse four says, God rescued him. Well, what happened? We don't know. All of a sudden, he's crying out to the Lord because they're saying, your God won't rescue you. And verse 4, he's saying, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. Something happened in there. There's this new confidence, amen. There is this new confidence inside of David that he didn't have before. It's a new confidence. I want you to hear this. God can touch you in a certain way that you have new confidence even though your reality hasn't changed. Oh, this is so good, guys. God can touch you in a certain way that you have new confidence even though your reality hasn't changed. You could worry about something. You can be in the middle of a storm in your life. You could feel like there's enemies all around you. Oh, but one word from God. You're hanging out in your bedroom, or you're in your office, or you're in the car, or you're at school, or you're sitting down by a tree, or you're on a walk, whatever it is, and it's that one word, and God speaks to you, and God gives you this word, and all of a sudden, you're done with that prayer time. It's like, oh God, I'm good now. You know what I'm talking about? I'm good now, God. (laughs) Nothing has changed, but you now have this confidence inside of you that God is with you and he's gonna take care of you and you have nothing to worry about because God spoke to you. That's the power of God's word. Your reality may not change, but you know God is with you and that's enough. And that's where David feels. He's like, oh God, oh God, I cried to you and you answered me. Glory to God. See, God is bigger. And did you notice he cried to God from his holy mountain? He's referring to Jerusalem. Well, who's in Jerusalem? Absalom. Absalom is there in Jerusalem in the city of David in the holy temple. And David flees Jerusalem, and he's running from his son, but he knows that God is God of Jerusalem. Even though Absalom is there spreading lies, speaking secrets and shadows, he knows God is still God of Jerusalem. You know what I'm talking about? This is such an important part, guys, right here. This is so big. In other words, you can cry out to God. You may see a stubborn heart, but you know God can change any heart. You may see that boss who maybe is not favorable to you, but you know who has your future. You may see the need, but you know the provider. You may see chaos, but you know who holds the stars in order. You may feel exhausted, but you know the giver of strength. You may feel betrayed, but you know the one that is closer than a brother. You may feel beaten down, but you know who has your future. You may feel empty, but you know who makes you full. You may feel discouraged, but you know the encourager. You may be confused, but you know the author of peace. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the answer to everything. So regardless of what problems you're facing in life, financial, marital, whatever it is, you know The God who sees everything, the God who knows everything, the God who's in control and that God is with you. So the real question is, do you know God? Is he your God? Is he your God? David says this, he said, I lay down and slept. This is like scripture, I lay down and slept. Some of you, you can do that. You can like, you know, this is biblical. I'm going to take a nap right now. I'm not talking about those of you who wake up at the crack of noon. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about laying down and sleep. Yet I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. I love what this one scholar said. He said, God sustains us in our sleep, but we take it for granted. Think of it. You are asleep, unconscious, dead to the world, Yet you breathe, your heart pumps, your organs operate. The same God who sustains us in our sleep will sustain us in our difficulties. Isn't that good? The same God. See, some of you get sleep, but you don't get rest. There's a the difference. You go to bed worried and you wake up worried. You know what I'm talking about? You have all this stuff swimming in your head when you go to bed and you get six, seven, eight hours, whatever of sleep, and you wake up feeling like you got three hours of sleep. It's because you're not getting rest. You need to give it to God. You need to trust God with your life. David had this assurance, and you know what he said? For the Lord is watching over me. He had this moment with God where he recognized you know what? I know you know my son Absalom is spreading lies and all the VIPs and the influencers they're believing his lies. But God spoke to me. And I had this new confidence. And I don't care what happens because God is watching over me. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, God is watching over me. Someone needs to hear that. God is watching over you. Turn the person next to you and just tell them, God is watching over you. Type in the chat, God is watching over you. God is watching over you. Is that a game changer? Absolutely, it's a game changer. God is watching over you. So what do you have to worry about? Just turn to God and give him your entire life. The God who sees everything. God is watching over you. In verse 6, he says, I'm not afraid. This is so beautiful. Let's read it out loud. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Do you see his confidence He went from, Absalom is spreading lies. And there's this unknown number of people that are believing the lies. And it's affecting David's reputation, his perception. It's affecting how they view David, all of that stuff. But David has this moment with God. And he comes to this realization that God is watching over him. And he says, I don't care if 10,000 Because God is behind me, God is before me, and God is beside me. Bring it on. Bring it on. Because my God is with me. And I don't care. It's just a number. I've learned me plus God is greater. And that's enough. And he says, I don't care if 10,000 are around me. 10,000. Because God is with me. See, with Jesus at your side, you don't have to be afraid of 10,000. Paul said this in Romans. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And David says, arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. And this is so cool. Slap all my enemies in the face. Does anybody want to come up so I can slap them to show show everyone what, what... Some of you are pointing to other people. That's not what I'm thinking. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Like this is bigger than a Mike Tyson punch. I mean, this is way bigger. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. And this right here reminds us that we have a God who not only wants you to experience a little victory, he wants you to experience complete victory. He doesn't want you to just get by. He doesn't want you to hobble through it. He doesn't want you to walk with the limp. He wants you to experience complete victory. He wants to like kick that devil in the face and knock out a tooth or two kick that lust kick that anger kick that whatever it is in the face and never again will i let that thing determine my walk with god never will again will i let that thing hold me back never again will i let that thing determine my destiny my purpose with god never again will i let that thing rule my life. Never again will I sleep with that thing. Never again will I hang out. With, never again will I listen to that thing. I'm going to kick it in the teeth because it doesn't belong to me. And I'm a child of God. And the prayer was, God, shatter their teeth. Shatter their teeth, Lord. And he says, victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. It's beautiful. Some of you, you need to turn to God. You need to turn to God with all of your heart. No more games. You need to let God shatter the teeth of that thing that you're holding on to so far, so long. I'm just gonna lay it on to you right now. That thing that you think is the best for you is holding you back and robbing you from a life that God has for you. You're believing a lie. It will never fill you like Jesus can. It will never satisfy you. Haven't you discovered that people are not as faithful as God? Have you made that discovery yet? Because you know your own heart, don't you? Haven't you discovered that they won't always be around? Haven't you had those people that said, I've got your back, bro. I'm with you. You can always count on me. Where are they now? Haven't you discovered that there's one who's always faithful and true? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I want to pray with you. And um, if you need to turn to God for whatever reason, this is the time to turn to God. Maybe you need to come forward and kneel down and pray. and Whatever it is, maybe God's speaking to you about something in your heart. I just sense the spirit moving. And I want to encourage you just to respond. You have a moment right now to turn to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. God, thank you for Psalm chapter three. We're reminded that you are greater. It doesn't matter what 10,000 do or say or surround us. It doesn't matter. We're surrounded by your love and we choose to worship you. We choose to worship you even when we feel surrounded. Maybe you need to say this. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Make that your prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for sleeping with my enemies. Forgive me for trading you in for The wrong things. Others of you might need to say this, God, but you, oh, Lord, you're my shield. You hold my head up high, but you, oh, Lord, you are with me. You protect me, and I'm going to trust you, God, even though my reality hasn't changed. I hear you, God, and I accept your word right now, and I choose to put my faith in you. Give me strength. Give me a hope. Give me a new courage of faith. Help me to be steadfast. Put a sustaining spirit inside of me. As long as I know you're with me, God, that's enough. Thank you for your grace, Lord. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.